Thank you for listening to this artist talk presented by the Art Gallery of South Australia. In this live recording, Dean Cross discusses the origin of his work in the series Poly Australis on display in Tarnity. Hello, everybody. Of course, before I begin, I'll acknowledge the Ghana people where we meet today and who's been the custodians of my work since October. I uh, feel very privileged to be back here in Adelaide. Uh, where to begin? So I, I sort of tell this story, I guess, that goes with the work. And, uh, you know, I like to go to St Vinnie's to get my clothes. Us artists don't make, some artists don't make too much money. Um, Anyway, I look at the books and this one day I see this book called Australians and I think, you know, it's, it's quite a title for a very small book. What does that really mean? Uh, so I pull it out, I have a look and flick through the pages and page after page after page after page were white people. Uh, you know, and it's the same old story, we know the story, but it's still confronting to see. Um, it still doesn't make sense. And so I bought the book uh, for $2. It fit within my materials budget for that week. Um, <laughs> and uh, I got to work. And so I, I was looking through it. And so the, the book's origin, so Polly Borland, who took the, the original photographs, uh, she was commissioned by the National Portrait Gallery here uh, in Canberra and the London National Portrait Gallery to take photos of eminent Australians is the, is the word. Uh, ex expat eminent Australians, and so that's the context that, that the book came from, uh, or the exhibition, I should say, came from. So there's 54 images in the book, and I guess I just needed to attack, maybe is the word I want to use, or address somehow, sort of understand the book a little deeper. Um, and I'd been making these marks, which you sort of see uh, repeated throughout the the various pages as a way of thinking, as a way of, 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 of working through thinking. And page after page, I started to... Something started to emerge um, from this sort of simple mark-making practice. You know, I still, in the mornings uh, in Canberra... I live in Canberra at the moment. I grew up there. But we have this thing called the, the City News or Canberra Weekly. It's this sort of free rag that gets distributed everywhere and still when I meet my Weepix or whatever I draw on the faces little moustaches and glasses and all those silly things you know it's just sort of it's a fun thing that I like to do and so I realized that actually that was a, a similar process what I was what I was doing to these pages um, and I think like like many sort of works or, or, or bodies of work when you begin you're not quite sure where you're going or whether or not if it's even anything. It was just this sort of idea and it being a book, it gave me this sort of parameter, front page, back page and everything in between. Uh, and so as I was working through these sort of, I guess, thoughts maybe or the faces started to emerge, I guess these sort of, these repeating faces staring back from the print, from Polly's photos, except for that very far photo, um, the bottom left corner, which is Lloyd Newson, whom never shows his face in any publicity, um, always is either in these, who wears these big daggy glasses and this big hat or has his back turned. Um, but other than that, it's faces, faces after faces after faces. 
And so instead of colouring in the faces themselves, as you can see, I worked around the faces, I worked through the pages, um, never really thinking much about the marks specifically or thinking much about the, the forms themselves. I've been asked a few times about, you know, what are the marks, why this one, why that one. I mean, artists hate that question because we don't know. <laughs> We don't know. We just work, and 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 we it, it reveals itself later. Um, you know why there's why there's a sort of a stripe over here, or why Nick Cave has four bars. It's not so relevant, really. Um, it was again just working through that entire process. I'm rambling already. Anyway, when we get to the end, of, I get to the end of the book and and sort of then think, okay, well now what? I thought for a while that the book itself might be the work, that the actual document, the manuscript, um, as this sort of sculptural object that I, I had intervened with, and I still think maybe it, it is something, but I also wanted to understand the images in a new way. And so that's how these kind of, this form of the images came about. I scan them simply and, and start to piece them together. Uh, digitally and, and remove everything. And so uh, what I mean by everything is all the other noise that's in the image, um, the spine of the book, for example. Um, and, and I guess I, I'm telling you that because it's sort of part of the, the final product where the images themselves have now become this flat plane. So the, the, the ink of Polly's original images and the ink of my marker, my texture, have now been fused and come one through the printing process himself. So it was a way that I could further connect the narratives, Polly's narratives, my narratives, um, in, into the, the one object themselves. So when it's printed into the paper, the ink sits deep in this type of paper. This is really rich cotton paper. And, and when the images are finally out, it's all on one plane. So, so unlike the, the manuscript where you can, you can see, it's quite um, tactile, the book, you can see the ink, the smudges and things. In these forms, they're all one. What else to talk about? So I think the other thing that I think about, I suppose, in the works themselves, and, and, and I guess this idea of Australians and what that means. And, and I think we have this inherent sort of knowledge of, of Australia not really being a white country. Um, we all sort of know it, we all sort of feel it, um, yet even when I grew up and went through school, you're taught that it's a white country, um, despite your better judgment, um, which I think is slowly changing. I think it was the last census, I think 2016 census, which finally the scales have been tipped across. Um, you know, now the data also tells us that we're no longer a white country and perhaps never were which I think is, is really, it's quite profound, actually, for the future. It's profound for our kids to grow up knowing that, that this country is as diverse as, as, as our eyes tell us it is uh, and, and our kind of, our heart tells us it is, just not everything else. So I, I guess I was still thinking a lot about that, um, you know, especially, I guess, for Aboriginal people who come in, in all sorts of shades as well. So this, this idea of, I guess whiteness and skin colour, which seems sort of... It, it's, a, it's almost a non-conversation for Aboriginal people, but we still have to have it because even 
up until recently, or still recently, only when was this last week, people are still sort of confused when you, when you talk about your own sort of your heritage. The cab driver here actually yesterday when I got off the plane was really confused that I was coming to talk here, that my work was in this exhibition. He couldn't quite get his head around that. Um, that was yesterday, you know. And so it's still really relevant, I think, and, and, and why it's so important to continue to, to make this work and to continue to sort of have those conversations. And I think as a young artist, I'm cautious not to, to bang a drum that's been beaten over and over. That's a decision that, um, that I sort of have, have come to myself. I think you can kind of perhaps alienate people or... Um, you know, I like work that is more than just what it seems, and I think often, uh, often work that is is perhaps too direct doesn't leave any room for me as a viewer, and I'm sort of turned away. I think, well, you know, this is what you want me to, to know. Fine, fair enough, but but what else? You know, I think that's what makes art good, uh, makes art great, really, and exciting is that you can kind of come to it and and understand it in different ways. Um, which, I mean, I guess, you know, one hopes that your own work might be able to do that also. Um, but, of course, you never know. So I think, I mean, I guess I could talk, or I should talk about perhaps their, their construction as well in, in their groupings and, and, and how or why I've come to these sorts of decisions um, about this 12. Like I said, these are 12 of 54, um, uh, and actually, uh, as a small disclaimer, there, there is one Aboriginal person in the book on, on the very last page, <laughs> which I find, again, to be perfect, you know, of course, the last page. But Uncle Herb Wharton, the poet, um, he, he is in the book also included in this book. And that's the only page that I didn't need to, to work on, you know. There, the balance was already correct. Um, and so, I mean, I, I talk, I've spoken before about sort of attempting to, to rebalance the scales, and I guess that was a, my thinking with this sort of black and white, this high contrast. Um, you know, I mean, it seems, again, it's almost silly to sort of be so simple about it, but it was a way to, I mean, I guess graphically address or, or graphically embody the same sorts of things that I had been thinking about. Um, but the grouping, I digress, the grouping. So they, the grouping is actually more of a formal thing. Um, I spent a lot of time, well, I should say a small amount of time, given that it was only in May that I met Nikki, and then I was in Venice for a month, and so I sort of had all this time to think and then think, oh, gosh, as soon as I got home, I sort of straight back into the studio, which is actually just the bedroom, um, and had these up on the wall and, and, and configuring and reconfiguring, and... The, I think mostly about, um, I guess, rhythm. Uh, so coming from a choreographic background, um, my practice has been to understand the rhythmic eye and to understand how the eye can, can uh, comprehend rhythm and, and how you can manipulate that rhythm uh, within a viewer to, to sort of guide their eye through space. And so I used to do that with the human body, um, whereas now I, I do it in, in two dimensions, or I'm in three dimensions perhaps if I'm working in sculpture. But So the, 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 the groupings of the works are they're, they're, they're choreographic. I think about them in the same way as I would approach choreography in that um, 
I mean, one of the first things you're taught in, in dance school, choreography 101, is about what you call light and shade. I mean, I think maybe in painting they might teach you that too. I've never learned how to paint, maybe one day. Um, but light and shade, and, and that's sort of a, a way to, again, it's, it's about creating harmony, visual harmony. Um, and so you, you put things together in a way that hopefully, I mean, again, this is just me in the bedroom thinking, but hopefully that the, the eye can fall. I mean, I'll use this far one again as an example where, where from Tony Collette or Muriel, the eye can cascade down through uh, Kylie Minogue onto Noah Taylor. Um, you can sort of the fall. So, that, I mean, I use that example because the Kylie Minogue is the only one who's flipped. The, you'll sort of perhaps will notice that all the others have the, the, the mark-making side on the left and the image of the human on the right, which is the layout of Polly's book. But I needed to... It didn't look right if I did it that way. The, the balance of the whole composition was wrong. Um, and so this way it allowed, allowed the eye to fall, fall through the image. Um, oh, that, can you do that again? Fall, that was beautiful. Oh, I love it. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll use that. I like that. Um, sorry, I'm getting sidetracked. I shouldn't look. I shouldn't look. Um, where am I? Where am I? Oh, yeah, so a, a way to move the eye around, around the, the plane, um, which is new for me. I mean, as I said, I, choreographically, I can move a body through space for sure um, and multiple bodies and understand multiple bodies in relation to each other in space but it's really it's quite challenging for me as it's so new to, to try and translate that process or that thinking um, into this new way of working initially I tried to divorce myself from from my choreographic brain or from my dance brain thinking that this is a sort of a new career that I'd, that I'd moved on but it, again it didn't take long for me to realize that that's impossible I only have one brain um, and, and it only thinks in the same way. It's just now that the output is different. Um, the, the, the way that I sort of can, can direct my own eye has become different, um, which allows me, I guess, now to make work in this way. Um, what else should I talk about? I think maybe the f I'll talk about perhaps using found image. Um, so a lot of people have asked the question about... Um, appropriation and I think you know there's a lot of sort of appropriation is a strong tool that especially Aboriginal artists use contemporary Aboriginal artists um, it's a really direct way that you can reclaim oneself or, or the representation of oneself and I mean you know I think of artists like Brooke Andrew for example who's often using images of Aboriginal people and I guess I've sort of inverted that in a way and I've kind of counter-attacked even that to say, well, I'll, I'll take images of non-Aboriginal people then, um, see how you like it, I guess, especially, you know, over the years. And, again, we sort of know the history in Australia of the use of the colonial use of the Aboriginal image against, uh, against the will of, of the, the subject. Um, and so I suppose, in a way, I, I was sort of hoping to speak to that as well or, or sort of understand through doing. I had to sort of go through that process myself to, to claim my own images of non-Aboriginal people, work with them to understand why perhaps other people would have done that to, to, the, to ancestors and things like that. Um, 
which has been really fun, actually. I find it really enjoyable. I've been buying photos like mad on eBay um, lately, bundles of photos from people that I don't know, um, and they all sort of arrive in the mail, and I get really excited because it's sort of, I don't know any of the subjects, I don't know any of the contexts, um, but you can start to sort of create these threads of narrative, and you can start to then understand, especially I've been buying old photos, and the the the... the, the objects, tangible objects, and so you can start, I've been able to start to understand the, um, I guess, the draw or the, the, the excitement around why um, the, the colonising eye uh, may have wanted and used that as a practice, uh, as a way to sort of understand, I guess, this, this other, this sort of perceived other. Um, and that's sort of where I'm at at the moment. It's sort of working on this. This sort of group of work has kind of piqued my interest, I suppose, or, or led me into a path that I'm working on at the moment of, of understanding that process deeper. Um, I've been working directly on these new photos as well, uh, trying again just to, to, to see what I can find, I suppose, or, or, or mine, mine the relevance, um, and, and I guess keep asking myself, is it still relevant? to do. Um, I mean, you hope so, because you spend all your time doing it. <laughs> but it might not be. We'll, t we'll see in the end. Um, what else to talk about? So the subjects themselves, these 12, they're all performers. So that was something that I guess, um, when I was starting to build this show specifically, or choosing the, the, these 12 out of the 54, um, was something that I was thinking about. And that then became, for me, or started to ask questions about this performance of identity and whether or not it's something inherent, whether or not it's something learned, or whether or not it's something other in this sort of performed way. And I, I mean, I think it's a combination of three. I don't think it's as simple as one or the other. Um, but I think, especially with this sort of pseudo-celebrity, some of these people are really famous, others less so. Um, there is this element of, of identity performance. You know, you sort of... Famous people or celebrities often talk about themselves removed in this sort of third-person removed way, which I find really interesting, sort of divorcing their own sense of self from the identity that they are, the public identity, which I find really interesting. And I think when I think about that in relation to sort of being a kind of urbanised, not that I'm, I grew up in the country, but an urbanised, non-desert Aboriginal person, it's a similar push and pull where you have to sort of understand yourself within this sort of complex system um, that changes depending on where you are and who you're talking to, um, which it's tiring really, but essential, I suppose. It's the only way you can navigate uh, your day-to-day -day life. Um, but I think, you know, it allows me then also to understand perhaps some of the other images and how to group those if, you know, when and if I win the lotto, I can show all of the work. Um, you know, it'll allow me to, to understand how to group those in the future, how to understand those in relation to these 12, um, and how to, to draw more out of the work. Um, actually, I think that's something to talk about too, because I'd never seen them like this before until I arrived, and it was through this sort of careful curation that has that made the works more for me. You know, I thought I understood them in, in the studio wall from my little printer. Um, but when I came here and I see them in context of other works, um, and of course 
being around artists that I admire, um, it, it brought a new life to the work, which I didn't expect, which was really sort of overwhelming um, and amazing and, and sort of beautiful to see these works. Um, and not just in this room, but in relation to the building itself, the history, the, 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 there's a, they have a good history here in this, this gallery of the kind of collection uh, and how it's operated in Australia. It's a little bit unique, I think. Uh, you know, and to be able to walk through the gallery, which I was doing this morning, and sort of to arrive here uh, and, and see your own work, you know, it's still, it's a, it's a major thrill. Um, you know, really super exciting uh, and, and, and still sort of humbling. And even that anybody's here, I honestly expected to talk to myself all morning. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, maybe that, that might be enough for now. Maybe some questions, perhaps. Is that long enough? I'm not sure yet. Anybody have any questions? I'm much better at answering questions than just rambling. Oh, we've got a couple, yes? No, no, you're right. Yep. Um, Back to the appropriation book. Uh, these look like redacted documents. Yep. Where you're removed. I wrote this book this year. Did you? <laughs> this book? <laughs> oh, wow. That is amazing. Oh, I hope I didn't offend you then. <laughs> right. Right. Yep. I wrote this book and I very carefully. Uh, crafted each of the photographs in your text. Oh my gosh. How come you have the right <laughs> to come along and redact them? Isn't that, isn't that like what we objected to in, in oppressive societies? We should be more expansive. Um, you've treated them as those whites. And um, Sure, okay, there's a lot there to, to, to address. How come I have the right? Um, I have the right because it's art, simply. Uh, I think that, the, 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 that, whole, that conversation is, is an old one. What artists can and can't do, we're completely free. Completely free. I can and will do whatever I want. Um, so that, that's sort of the end of the conversation there. Um, <laughs> But I certainly can appreciate your position in that. This was your work. Um, but, I mean, it only looks redacted. Uh, and that's just a visual language. So, you know, this, these black bars, this, this blacking out is, is the, the language of redaction, sure. But that wasn't really something that I was thinking about or, or, or doing. I mean, I actually see them now as, as this is a continuation. Not, not a sort of... A redaction is about removal, um, whereas I think this is, is, this is an, an additive process, you know, I mean, as, as opposed to a, a marble, right, where you're taking away to get to David somewhere in the centre. This is an assemblage, a, a rebuilding. Um, so I don't see myself as removing your work. I see us as collaborating to make these works. Uh, does that perhaps get to something, or you still don't look very happy? Oh, no, no, I think you've explained it. Well, I'm not sure, though, that that statement that because it's art, you can... See, that's what happens in oppressive societies. Okay. Um, 
Uh, well, I mean, I think we are in an oppressive society, aren't we? I mean, th th there's no doubt about that. I think we have an illusion that Australia is a free country. Uh, oppression is everywhere, you know, and um, even, in, even in affluent places, you know. Uh, so perhaps, or, or, or speaking in the language of oppression is fitting then, um, especially as the world turns into what the world is turning into. Um, I think we, we aren't as free as we wish we are. We aren't as free as we think we are, especially Aboriginal people in this country um, whom, whom are still... I mean, we, uh, that's a long conversation to have, really. Um, but, 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 you know, I think we know. We know, really, the situation that, that there's a lot of people, and not just Aboriginal people, but a lot of people in this perceived country of, of freedom, of wealth, wealth for toil... Um, you know, it, it's not all that... What do they say? All that glitters is not gold or whatever. You know, it's not as good as it seems, you know. And we're the privileged few here, the few that have got time to come to the gallery in the middle of the day. Um, you know, the, the few that can afford to fly me down and put me up in a beautiful hotel. I'm, I'm absolutely privileged to be here. Um, most people are at work, you know, or there's a whole lot of people who, who can't even get jobs. I can't even get a job. Um, as an artist, I tried to get a job at Donut King and couldn't. You know, it's a state of affairs. I mean, it's, you know, I'm not a dumb person, but, you know, I can't get a job. But anyway, we'll move on. Yes, you have a question. Yeah, I'm fascinated by your ability to understand your work as a process. Because I'm like, everything is in process. I mean, everything you do is learning from what, what it is and where it is. Have you always been comfortable in the process? Uh, yes and no. I think coming from a dance background, um, you don't have a choice. You know, you, you, you dance is entirely about process and even, even when you get to opening night, I mean, my colleagues would hate performing with me because I was fairly unpredictable on stage. <laughs> um, even though I was supposed to do what I was told, that wasn't, didn't work out so well for my poor directors. Um, but no, I mean, I think the, the process, it's inevitable. I think everything really is a learning opportunity. Um, every day in the studio is a new opportunity to learn. Uh, and, and I never really know what I'm doing. <laughs> Nobody does, I don't think. But uh, you never really know. And, and it's not until this sort of... You, you can remove yourself from the work that you might start to understand them. But certainly every kind of new mark... I mean, it, this, this book is a good example where um, the first few pages just this sort of mark, it's mark, 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 and then, then that shifted, that, and that small shift. What, what are those machines, those fun machines that you build and something knocks onto something else and then the wheel rolls and like the mousetrap sort of machine, whatever they're called. Uh, it's a little similar to that, you know, one mark then affects the rest of the picture. I'm reading um, Kandinsky's Point and Plane, actually, and it's, it's similar. You put a one point on a plane and then that, now has to have a relationship with the next point. As soon as that next one is on the plane, now you've got two things to think about which have to have a relationship. And it's the same in this work, uh, all the way through to up onto the wall, how they're on the wall and everything. It's sort of... It, everything is relative to everything else. Uh, and then again to the curation where these works then have to be in relation to the works around them. I mean, next door, how beautiful Nick Cave has is, is done the soundtrack... I mean, that, that's, that's a, a subtle thing that perhaps your average museum goer may not think about. Um, but if you're, if you're present in the gallery and really thinking about what you're looking at, how beautiful, you know? It's that sort of 
I think about symphonic music mostly when I'm making work, and um, particularly Rachmaninoff, and and you know it's these little moments of is that that moment that one chord might appear in the middle of the of the concerto, just one chord out of nowhere, but without that one chord, the whole concerto would fall apart. Um, uh, and so that's mostly really actually what I think about when I'm making anything really, but but that's. That's that process, I think, in, in trying to understand that. Now I'm definitely rambling. Um, anybody else? Um, how long did it take you to complete, I guess, all of this work? You know, Weeks, days after days. I think it, it took me actually about a month of, of day in, day out drawing. I, I went through nearly 100 markers um, they're not cheap either. Um, <laughs> and, um, and then from once the book was finished, uh, still a few months. You know, I mean, I looked at these 12 for probably June, I'll go back in June, July, August, probably three months or so that I just looked and looked and looked and didn't touch, um, which is still working, still thinking, still working. Yeah, even though my hands were doing other things, my eyes and my brain were looking and thinking and... and hoping that it was all going to come together. Anything else? Yes, up the back there. So you might have made a connection with dance notation. Yes. Before we started today. And I've looked at these a lot, but I, I guess I've thought about the mark making in the context of the company that we're in. Mm. Mm. And I'm thinking about Tiger Yeltani and, and the other work throughout the whole exhibition, really. But I'm really interested in what they might be the long history of love band and you know, all yep. kind of rotational actions. Mm -hmm. You talked about choreography in the context of that mark making. Do you see or uh, do you get a kind of physical sense of these marks of movement? Very much so. Yep, absolutely very much so. And uh, my choreographic journals are filled with, with the, the sort of the ancestors of these marks. Um, when I used to, to, I used to draw a lot to make my choreographic work. Um, would draw this sort of proscenium and, and draw people moving through space. And um, when I go back to those journals, these, yeah, the, definitely the, the marks have an origins in that. And, and these works, for sure, um, still operate in that way. I mean, it might be a form of synesthesia, even, this sort of mild form of synesthesia where... Um, it is so much about movement, um, and, and not even just movement from the eye, but my, my hand. You know, I, I still feel a really strong connection between the marks and my hand, my arm, my shoulder, which moves through the, the chest and the core. You know, I understand through my training um, what happens internally to make a mark. Um, all the way, you know, you, after a lifetime of using your body, you start to, uh, consciously using your body, I should say, you start to understand how it works and you can understand a bit better um, how to make it work. And so, yes, yeah, certainly throughout this book and throughout these processes, um, there was this sort of, I guess, dance-like element. Even in the, the what appear now as big black planes, I mean, that was a long time of this action Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Um, oh, don't touch, be careful. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, 
no, 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 sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, yes, yeah, yeah, where am I? Um, I definitely see them as, as choreographic and can, can feel perhaps more than see how this would translate to a dance if that were to be something that I was to do. Um, I, I feel like I, I don't need to because they're choreographic already and enough, but, you know, if for some reason I got bored at home maybe or whatever it was, then, then I can see and feel the dance that's present. And I think that's perhaps a deep cultural thing as well, you know, where, where the mark, the movement and, and even sound, they're, they're not sort of divisible in the same way that a Western history would understand them, um, completely connected as, as one in the same, all part of the same performative action Yeah. That repetitive drum movement and the movement of bodies with that is, is absolutely a notation of kind of marking the Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. And then even deeper than that is, is the, you know, the, the, the same uh, repetition of the, the letters, the individual letters, you know, the, the marks on the computer that our frontier uh, must, have, must have done when writing the book. Um, you know, so they're all connected to each other as well. Any any other ones? Any other ones while we're here? Yes. Um, I have always been absolutely fascinated with um, Aboriginal art, and when I was young and I was growing up, <clears throat> I would not understand what the meaning of it was, and I always wanted to to know more. And as a deaf person, you might come along to a place and someone would be speaking about it, but you never had the opportunity to hear what that was. And when I was living in Brisbane, I finally, for the first time, went to an art gallery where there was an interpreter. And I was oh. just awestruck um, as to the dreaming and the stories of the waterholes. And I thought, oh, now I am really understanding what I'm seeing and I'm fascinated. And if it wasn't for an interpreter being here and having access to this, I would not understand. What, what does this mean? What's this about? And so being able to put that together is so fantastic for deaf people to have an interpreter and understand not only Aboriginal art, but any other artist in here, you know, like, well, why is the artist born in that particular fashion and that style? You know, I don't understand. You know, why, why is that? Where are the links? Where has it come from? And so, really, um, I, I've always gravitated towards Aboriginal art, and, um, and your explanations of this work are just uh, fantastic. So, well done. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'd just like to thank Karina for the Auslan um, interpretation. It's fantastic to have you back at the gallery and to be able to um, interpret is fantastic. And thank you all for coming and thank you very much, Dean. It's been wonderful to have you. Thank you. Thank you.